lights out and away we ayo. Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Network, a fine network. I'm your host, J.E. Skeets, filling in for my hot boy, Trey Kirby, who's still on vacation. But I'm joined by our local F1 expert, a man who didn't start drinking water until like 2006, Graydon Gordian. What's up, uh, F1 sickos? <laughs> Is that true? I, I, I just feel like, do you go back to your college years, your high school years, and you remember drinking lots of water? No. I mean, because I, I literally was thinking about it. It's like, I'd be at, I played football in high school. You'd be at football in Texas. It'd be very, very hot. You'd sure. be in pads. You'd be just sweating unbelievably. And then you'd go over to, you know, a little orange tank and get those little plastic cone cups yep. and have like exactly one of them and that was rehydrating <laughs> right. and then go back right you know it's like not that's not that's not even close to what i think is an appropriate <laughs> no amount of water it's not drink. it's not so what was going on i don't know i guess i mean i i maybe i took a lot of years off my life and i just don't realize it I, maybe you're just young and you can power through. In in college, I definitely feel like I mostly subsisted on like coffee, Gatorade, and beer. Beer, yeah, yeah. But you've added water to your life. I do drink Good. water now. Good. I do drink water now. I enjoy <laughs> a nice, refreshing glass of water. <laughs> All right. He's hydrated and ready to go. And <laughs> over yonder, we got our team principal making the magic happen, JD. Hello. There he is. And uh, here we are. Shout out to everybody joining us live on YouTube. The Slipstream is strong. Yes, that's what it's called on No Breaks. Drop us a thumb, a comment, subscribe here to No Breaks. And if you're a listener of the podcast, leave your boys a five-star rating and review. It really helps us out. Helps people find the show. A lot of new F1 fans still coming into the space. And that's who we're here for. That's who we're here for more than anyone. It's for, it's, you know... It's for everybody. This is a show for everyone. It Fans is. Of all it is. You are the uh, the expert, like I said off the top, and I am the really the noob still when it comes to this stuff. But that's beautiful. I love it because we've talked about this before on the show, but, but when I first started watching F1, which probably is like eight or nine years ago now, an incredibly solitary activity. <laughs> I mean, like sitting around by myself on Sunday mornings, sometimes tweeting about it and getting like somewhere between like zero, maybe like maximum like one likes on wow. a tweet about it, just like, like tweeting truly into like into an empty like an empty theater. It was it was sad times. I'm, I'm glad so you're to have liking fun. this. Now. No, this like, is more fun. It is more fun in. to okay. have like friends and people care and want <laughs> to talk about this and participate. It is much more fun for this to not be like something I do on an island. Good. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited here to learn a lot uh, from what just went down with the Aust- Austrian, excuse me, Grand Prix and looking ahead to uh, the next race. And I think we're at the halfway point we are at the uh, of the F1 point. season, too. So I'm sure uh, we'll have some questions about that looking back and looking forward. Um, I can't believe this is the show I got, though, with Trey being gone. Because I, of course, get the one podcast or the one week where we also have a sprint race. Oh, yeah. So I have a second race to, uh, you know, get, get the highlights in, try and uh, do my little research for oh, it. It's yeah. gonna, you're going to nail it. You, I mean, you're not the – you are not the number one F1 fan in your household. No. But that means you do have it. a lot of people in your life who are, you know, helping, you know, th- you know – Help me to understand. There to talk about this. There were a lot of questions over the last twenty-four hours so, to my <laughs> wife Nora, who is, uh, you know, uh, in our household, yes, a die-hard F1 fan. In fact, in asking a lot of these questions, I was a little concerned. I'm like, how do you know all this? She's just, she's like, really up to up to date on everything and all the breaking news and stuff like that. There, are no choice about it. Nora knows 
a ton about Formula what? One. I mean, what last time we were hanging out. I'm around her all the time. <laughs> I guess when she's just looking at her phone, she's like uh, breaking down uh, the latest F1 race. Yeah. She she is, I mean, as knows as much as like any other friend of mine. Like truly, wow, like wow, they're like, wow. she she oh, a knows a ton. She, she knows a ton about it. She does, she does. Yeah. So uh, she will be judging me specifically <laughs> on uh, on how I do here on No Break City. Okay, so let's, let's get into it because we do have qualifying on Friday, obviously the sprint race on Saturday, then the race race there on Sunday. Just some quick facts about the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, this is the Red Bull ring. The Red Bull ring. And it's very, very short. It is short. When I saw it, I was like, that's it? There's like felt like there was four turns. Yes, I know there's more than that, but it's uh you know it's it's very very in length, just like very short. There's ten corners, I think. On the, yeah, it's on only ten circuit. corners. Yeah. It's right. It's you know it's it's still longer than Monaco, but mm. you know only by a, a tiny bit. Really, it's on the it's all it's on the very very short end. Are uh, you a fan of a shorter track like this where it's like takes like what 70 seconds to get around or some of the longer ones like or does or do you like the like a ballpark you like them all to be different i do think it's fun that they're all different i think the ballpark analogy is fun my favorite track of the year is spa which is also probably the longest of the year although i don't know it's if it's the length is why why i love it okay but there you know it's it's a good question it definitely makes for a weirder race because you have people like catching people a lot you have the situations where it's like and the guy who comes in fifth has been lapped or something like that right because it's so (laughs) short which is always like a little awkward that so many people have been overtaken but i think i still think it's a fun course because this is a particularly intense one because there's so many drs zones right like there's three drs zones on a two and a half mile track meaning that there are a lot of places where you can be overtaken right, right. in a very, very short period and, of time. And correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like the elevation changes drastically in this one, which Massively. I think looks really cool on TV. Oh, yeah. Where they come like ripping into corners, either going down or up and stuff like that. I think actually elevation changes are, are probably one of the more under-discussed track elements, right. you know, because it has a lot to do with... Uh, it affects car power a lot, and you, it just it just can affect a lot of elements of the setup, which I think is super fascinating. But yeah, it is a beautiful venue for sure. Like in like the Austrian Alps right. with these big sweeping shots, it's I, I like it as a venue partly because I love any venue where it's like when they pan out and do the helicopter shot, it just looks epic. Oh yeah, I'm always a fan. Of that. <laughs> yeah, but the one thing with this course, as we learn through these three days of racing, are track limits that's oh, a, a common issue and and again that's straight up just going off the track and, yeah and, and why is that happening if these guys are professional drivers so basically right they so it's also being managed a little differently than it used to in years past okay. and we certainly saw that which is that they used to identified track limits in specific areas where they said you would gain an advantage so notably like in in austria uh Nine and ten turns nine and ten are common areas where you might be able to take the track at a wider angle and then enter the main straight at a higher velocity and gain a little bit of advantage there. And they're basically saying, no, that's like going out of bounds in basketball or something. You can't like do that to get an advantage, you know, so you got to stay within the lines, which means keeping all four you all four tires in lines. You can literally have three of the four off the right. track. You can be right on the edge. But if the fourth one dips over and there's any space in between, you're off the track. They've since changed the rules such that they're going to now increasingly monitor that 
at basically every point along the track. They're they're not picking specific corners. They're saying that's a universal rule. And I can't tell you exactly why people had such a hard time with that this weekend, but my gosh, that it was it was a near constant oh, yeah. factor across every single day was people's inability to keep it with inside the line. Right. So then, so many uh, times just being changed. Because oh of the my penalties. gosh! Yeah, yeah. People having times thrown away all the time, or getting penalties in the race, or whatever. It was yeah. it was a it was a constant theme of the weekend. I think it's it honestly just shows you how on the edge they all are, how much they are trying to optimize every single lap down to centimeters, inches, you know, incredibly small margins. And to mess it up, even the littlest bit is costing them. But that's how exacting they are trying to be every single time out. And at some point you have to ask yourself is – if it's costing you in the ways it's costing you, there's a there's a cost-benefit analysis there that maybe is worth questioning. So So – the qualifying for, for this week here in Austria, it was setting the grid for Saturday's sprint race. And I know there's a little right. twist here, and Nora helped me out with this. Unlike last year, the winner of the sprint picks up eight points instead of five, while points are now allocated to the top eight finishers rather than just top three. This is only the second year we've been trying this sprint race. Correct. Okay, so we're, we're showing you here, if you're uh, in the slipstream, you're watching on YouTube, the results from qualifying, though... Uh, you could scratch the uh, Perez there in fourth. Is that correct? Yeah, this is how they ended on. This is how they ended from qualifying. But as we would learn after the race, they actually Perez had gone off the track, supposedly fairly flagrantly at the end of Q two. Right, and they basically canceled that lap canceled all of his Q3 laps and moved him back to P13, which is where he would have started if you had only counted his penultimate Q2 lap. Gotcha. So so he ends up starting in P13 on Saturday. It moves Gasly up into 10th, I I believe, and everybody else on that uh, graphic just a moment ago who was behind him shifts up one spot. Okay, so qualifying Max 1, P1 there, Leclerc P2, and then Sainz P3 Yep, um, as JD chucks it back up there. So what what, what were, you, were you taking from uh, qualifying here? I mean, Friday? this is honestly one of the... There's a few big takeaways. Mm-hmm. First of all, an amazing qualifying at the very top. They're separated by a tenth yeah. of a second. That's basically faster than you can snap your fingers. It's incredible to think that they would all drive... You know, two and a half miles, and then finish in <laughs> exactly the time. Way. Yeah. You know, it's like that. So that is that is really wild, and it has something that has happened in the past. This isn't unprecedented, but we ha- haven't actually seen a ton of this year. Such such narrow margins. Um, Mercedes had great pace on Friday, and totally threw it away because they put both cars in the wall. Right. You know, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. In separate incidents. In separate, totally separate incidents. This ends up costing Lewis way more than George, who still ends up starting fourth because of uh, Perez getting knocked down and, and, you know, his other people don't end up surpassing him. But Hamilton almost certainly would be starting higher than this, Mm -hmm. given how he had looked. And the other one big takeaway for me is is both Alpine and Haas, the other two teams, you know, that are represented here, you know, the Haases are looking so strong. Ooh, the Haas is hot. Into, oh, my gosh. They look incredible heading into Saturday. And Alpine, we've talked a lot about in recent weeks on the show, is increasingly looking like 
they're in control of their own destiny to take fourth in the in the constructors championship and lo and behold they put two cars in Q3 they look really strong so it's it certainly starts to set the stage for like who is going to be most competitive out there later in the weekend the other only other i should say note i had from qualifying is that mclaren uh struggled and oh we heard God. from norris saying he was afraid of breaking the car yeah, and they <laughs> that's were that's never something you want to hear. They, yeah, the, Norris definitely had uh had the yips out there. He seemed really concerned about uh the car under braking. The also M- Ricardo had yet another catastrophic qualifying dropping out in Q1. This is really not something that I think anybody anticipates. It it uh it it is it kind of bleeds into what has been a rough week for Ricardo. We'll talk about that more later in the show, but it's it's definitely yet another bad day in a season full of bad days for Danny Rick. Mm. So, okay, well let's go to the sprint on Saturday. Um a hectic start to this one. We had Alonso's car <laughs> had the tire covers left on it during the formation lap. And so he wasn't able to start. He had to be taken to the pits and then ultimately retired. What what was going on there first before we move on? I would actually, I would try to find what was going on there. I looked it up. I'm not sure why the it the best thing I could find was some evidence on the broadcast that there was an electrical issue they were trying to solve and that and therefore they were still working on that and they didn't take the covers off. But I think at the time that was a little bit speculative. It was a bit the it was amidst the mania of the you know, the pre start grid. I never saw like a definitive fault on that. If anybody in the slipstream team knows, let us know. But right. at, at the end of the day But the it, idea is that at some point, you know, you're, you, you, the clock hits it's, hit zero. Step away from the car. Yeah, hands you, down. You know, like that. And there is a clear time where on. you're you can't be aiding the car right. any longer, right? And the and the the tire blankets are doing that, right? They're keeping the tires up to temperature, yep. so they've got to come off, and everybody has to do that at. They don't have to do it at the exact same moment, but there is a final moment at which they had to do that, or they're gaining an unfair advantage. So this the, this is also yet another for me. The big takeaway here is is just yet another weekend in which Alpine looks so strong and then just is a little bit snake bit. They are their right. own worst enemy here. The car looks so great. Both drivers are driving well, and they're leaving points on the board because they keep having these mishaps, these reliability issues, these peculiar pre-start problems. It, it, it's, they could be comfort, comfortably in fourth right now were it not for all these strange hiccups right. that they just seemed unable to avoid. Also here, again, sort of around the start, uh, Joe's Alfa Romeo engine died at the end of the formation lap, uh, causing an aborted start to the race, and he started from the pit. There's a lot going on before this race. It was incredibly weird. I actually, I, it's, a lot of people were tweeting about it, how it's like, this is an insane sprint race. They hadn't even started racing yet. It's like so many things were going, normally you don't see that many things go wrong on the formation lap. It's a fairly, (laughs) uh, you know, the thoughtless exercise you just drive around in a circle <laughs> just get formation get formation <laughs> yeah. yeah it'd be like a bunch of things going wrong like before the tip of a basketball game it's like what was oh, the last oh I guess it's like yeah like, there's like a, a, a leaky roof or yeah, something yeah, like that yeah, or yeah, yeah. player uh, players somebody warm ups like, won't come off yeah, or somebody something. trips and like like kind of twist their ankle or something as right. they're like walking over yeah. or I guess it happens every once in a while guess, but yeah, pretty yeah. rare here with pretty the, rare here two incidents uh, with bo- uh, two different cars there two different teams I should say so the actual race did happen the sprint race. Uh, J.D., I know you got the results here for us. Again, everyone on YouTube, check it out. Shout out to the F1 like YouTube page. The work, that, the videos that they put up and like just the graphics and everything, 
They're slick. Cool. Yeah, I just love, for sure. I love the aesthetic of uh, F1. I like their their font and all that. I know that sounds weird, but I, I no, really do like it. It's a good graphics package. So sure. so Max, uh, you know, gets the uh, eight points here in the sprint race. Um, Charles coming in second, signs there. So you know, two, three for Ferrari, and uh, you see the rest of it. I won't go through the entire thing, but um, th- I mean. I am not the biggest fan. I'm going to say of the sprint race. I, I think I've decided Ooh. that. I know it's uh, we're we're only like five in total over these last two seasons or something. But uh, I just I don't like it. I'm not sure anyone. I don't think the drivers care for it all that much or the teams. And it's like there's something weird about it that I'm not a fan of. We talked about your wife. My wife, Taryn, also hates it. Okay. She, every time it comes up, she's like, "This is so dumb." She this uh, she thinks that she get she's almost almost angry about yeah. it. She's like, I don't want to. She watches every race with me. She loves it. She like walks out of the room yeah. for the sprint race. She's like, this is dumb. I don't care. Uh, I, <laughs> so but, the, I mean, we had I, we had uh, Max like you know scrapping with the Ferraris off the start. Like things it, happened in it, but to me, it's a listen. It's. For me, it's like a solution in search of a problem. You know, it's like the qualifying to me is actually very fun. I enjoy the time-based qualifying. So for t- to me, it's not something that actively needs to be improved right. upon. I get F1's interest in extending kind of the competitive window, having more televised events that have something at stake. That's basically what this is all about, right? This is a dollars and cents move. It's not to me about meaningfully improving the televised product because I think that too often what you just see is it ends up being a corrective against the weird, wacky things that happen in qualifying. You see Lewis put it into a wall and then he's able to work his way back up the grid or you see Perez go off uh, the track, get disqualified from Q3, but he's able to work his way all the way back to P5. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that to me is, is, is a lame thing about it. There is some excitement in this one. I mean, it. It, the the most exciting part of this, by far, in terms of on track racing, was Lewis Hamilton and Mick Schumacher going at it yeah. for several laps in a row. That uh, was really awesome racing, and was incredible stuff from Mick, who's obviously going toe to toe, you know, with one of the all time greats and hanging in there. His defense was excellent, and as he was saying, if they had swapped the cars around and let him get past Magnussen, whom he seemingly had pace. And a pace advantage over, you know, Lewis might have never taken him. Right. Part of the only reason Lewis was able to uh, was breathing down his neck is because because he was struggling to get past K Mag. The other takeaway that I had from Saturday was, oh, I don't feel that good about that great about Ferrari's chances on Sunday. Max kind of took off. Yep. And he looked pretty comfortably in front. I get Leclerc was kind of hunting him down there at the end. He was gaining back some of that advantage. Seems like he had been nursing his tires. But Perez made up huge, made huge gains during that race. The Red Bull looks strong. And while Ferrari maybe has a strategic advantage starting two and three, I just don't know if they have it. However, Charles Leclerc felt very differently. Coming out of that on Saturday, his comments we're very, very confident. He was like, uh, "Yeah, we'll get him tomorrow. Uh, we've, we've, we've got this. We've mm-hmm. got this figured out." Which struck me as very peculiar. I thought that was very odd that he was so calm and confident that like they had it figured out and they would nail it on Sunday. Because to me, it looked like, "Yeah, oh, this is yeah, Red Bull." Unless something goes awry for Red Bull, they've got it. They've he got it. On they've got it. You know, it's right. like something's got to go wrong for Verstappen for him to lose this. Also in this, uh, my only other note, uh, Gasly, I think it was, trying to overtake Hamilton there. 
Oh, uh, yeah. In the first turner, they got, you know, wheels uh, clipped and uh, out goes, um, I guess it was Gasly, right? Yeah. Th- this out. is like Gasly's – Gasly, more, you're talking about how the drivers don't like it. Gasly must hate these sprint races. <laughs> he get, he has had a bunch of catastrophes at them. He got at that I was it at Monza last year, you know, he got knocked out. He started I think in the top 10 and then ended up getting you know crashing out of the sprint race and then starting last in the race. This is one of many instances in the sprint race where things have gone terribly for him and he started in a much worse position than he started. I I did like on Sunday have a chance to like uh, in, in watching the highlights and listening to the to the drivers react to the sprint race Hamilton was like that was all his fault now, of course he's gonna say <laughs> they that always say well that. now yeah they're always gonna say that I do love how they do that they always say when two cars clip or whatever it's always the other guy's fault in terms of where they're coming I in gave stuff him like enough that. space oh my god he turned in on me whatever that's yeah always. but yeah. it was Hamilton sort of over the radio in this incident and I think there was another one on Sunday maybe uh, involved Vettel but it felt like it was an older driver and I and I heard twice this weekend in watching these clips like the older guys the OGs say like what are these guys doing? Yeah. As in these like younger guys, like he had room. You, you, you're just going to hit me here. I have nowhere to go with my car. I just thought it was fascinating. There, it's interesting. I wonder whether you're right. I mean, Hamilton and Vettel, who did also say that in yeah. his incident. It's interesting. There has been some questions. Has the risk tolerance of the younger guys actually gone up because the cars have gotten meaningfully safer? They've largely raced in an era where really serious injury or death is not common, is almost, you know, is is fairly absent from the sport, not completely absent, but far less frequent than it was in prior generations. And has it kind of changed their attitude and aggressiveness and the sort of stuff they're willing to pull hmm. that being said it, it, it's not to their advantage to run into no. somebody it, you know it's it's at best a 50 50 like i mean there's probably you know i i don't know what the likelihood exact percentage likelihood of crashing out if you hit somebody else is but it's not normally advised right so. right yeah <laughs> well let's go to sunday's race all right again red bull ring we had the championship leader max Verstappen. and he's starting on pole in front of a a large dutch contingent oh there uh, at the Austrian crazy. GP. Uh, but Ferrari's Leclerc, he passed him like three times, three separate times in this race uh, to win the first time in a long time, something like three months. Uh, and JD, you can throw it up there. We see the final results. So yes, Charles strikes back here. Ferrari uh, gets the gets the win in Austria. Max coming in second. Lewis Hamilton back on the podium uh, for the second week in a row. George, consistent George. Ooh. He's always there. Always there. Just flirting around the same spot, it feels like, uh, every race, uh, you know, three, four, five, something like that, and uh, the rest of them. Do you have a favorite pass from uh, Charles Leclerc um, in, in uh, the three times he passed Verstappen? For me, it's probably the first one, the lap 12 uh, overtake, because it, it seemed like he caught him sleeping. Yeah. It was like, it, it honestly, I don't think, I mean, he kind of caught the the producer sleeping too. I mean, it seemed like nobody like thought he was going to, he was going to try to overtake him there. And then like suddenly he had, um, it also for me was, I think it was just my favorite. So it was partly that partly was my favorite because it was the one that had the most drama because to be quite honest, Leclerc's ability to just, Leclerc has passed Max on track in his career 
But what he has struggled to do is pass him and then just drive away from him. Like oftentimes a fight ensues, Max overtakes him back. You know, it's not – it's very infrequently does he just take him and then drive off, which he kind of did in this instance. And the latter ones, which are genuinely very good, very solid, kind of clean overtakes – but there was almost a lack of drama to them. It, mm-hmm. They felt inevitable by the time they came up. He was just crushing Max's times on much fresher tires in every instance and just flies on past him. Max barely even puts up a fight for the later ones, which was kind of wild to see. It's definitely a total 180 from the sort of what we've seen on track earlier this year. So Ferrari gets the win in this race, Leclerc does, but it feels like, and you're a Ferrari fan, there's still disappointment because of what (laughs) happened with Carlos Sainz and his car uh, and his engine catching on fire and having to retire, and it it looked like it should have been a 1-2 victory in Austria. Yeah, probably for the second weekend in a row, what... With you know twenty or fifteen laps left, you would have said, "Well, this is a this is a Ferrari one two almost certainly somehow ends up with only one of them on the podium." In this instance, kind of uh, you know both wins, but it, incredible. It's the they're the only people who know how to win races and yet still have like kind of a shadow cast over yeah. the weekend. But they, I, it's just a lot of in a. I don't know. It's in this instance, it's it's different things. If it's not strategy, it, this this weekend they seem to nail the strategy. But if it's not strategy, it's reliability. If it's not reliability, it's strategy. It's just very few weekends where they seem every single piece of the puzzle starts to come together. And honestly, it was a tense race, even even for us Leclerc fans, because for the last several laps, he was struggling with a throttle issue that. It was uncertain how that was going to play out. Were they going to were they going to ask him to retire the car because it was unsafe to drive? Was he going to be unable to handle it? He was absolutely losing lap time to Max, uh, not at a fast enough clip. But it, what again seemed like an assured win for the last five laps was was thrown into doubt. So it, it for what felt like should have been a comparatively stress free race for a Ferrari fan. They found ways yeah. to make make hard. Here, here's a question because I, I saw some you know chatter about uh, Leclerc getting on the radio talking about the throttle issues. Yeah, and you know you just said like if it gets too dangerous, they're gonna hopefully protect their driver and call him in. Of course, they want the win and all that. It can can the FIA like yeah the stewards can, step can also say the car is unsafe. To so drive. so if that's true, what you're saying it is that you know you almost want again no one wants to get injured, but like. You don't want Leclerc saying this over the radio because then it's like, I think I think Brundle, I can't remember if it was Brundle or Crofty, but you know one of the guys calling the race alluded to that that they need to be careful what they say <laughs> over the radio because you know the stewards are listening and they might call the car in and call him out of th- and and that's not negotiable. It's like wow. they you know it's he can't not, drop like a psych. Yeah, it's like it's like if they tell you to rec- retire the car it. for safety reasons, so that they. They don't tend, you know. You've you saw that in recent weeks, weeks where they, you've seen that before. They've forced people to come into the pits and address something. I'm trying to think of the last time the stewards had to call a car right. in because it was unsafe to drive. Normally, the team will make that call well before a higher power has to get involved. So, if Leclerc could handle it, and he was putting in lap times, you know, he never had an instance where he went off the track. Right. He never had an instance where he was 
he was kind of psychologically struggling or verbalizing a struggle, but nothing about the car looked especially dangerous. And he was putting in lap times that were representative of the rest of the track. So I would have been a little surprised at that, you know, right. because if so many other things seem normal, I mean, you know, but With, it was scary though. Yeah. Well, and also scary. Yeah. The Carlos Sainz fire. Um, but you're saying if, if Carlos is like just keeps driving and it's on fire, he's like, I'm fine. Well, let's keep going. Couple, He'll call him in. It was a couple years ago. Remember that? I mean, uh, this is a really rare instance because it happened on the very last lap, but where Lewis Hamilton's tire blew up and he finished oh, the race that. Yeah. on three tires with his car dragging on the ground, shooting off sparks. That is throwing off pieces of the car, inarguably <laughs> unsafe yeah. driving conditions for other drivers, for Lewis, whatever. But that also... What does it even mean to call the car into the pits at that point? He was he was 300 meters from sure. the end of the, sure. the race or something. If there so, was 20 <laughs> laps to go, then yeah. yeah well, he would have never yeah. finished. Yeah. I, yeah, for sure. But in this instance, I, that still is a bit unlike anything I've ever seen in F1 personally <laughs> and bringing the car across with, with only three tires. But um, and it does – I guess it does happen from time to time. Luckily, it didn't here, and I do think that was the right call. It's like Leclerc had control of right. the car. You know? um, JD, I think you have some photos of uh, Carlos's fire here to his uh, engine, Ooh. which, uh, yeah, when you see this, like he, that's him in the car there. That's not him crouching down no, uh, beside the car. Here's another angle uh, from behind. Like, that is, that's an inferno right there. And I know this, the broadcast, they always have a tough decision, right? Like, they'll show us it. And then at a certain point, I think like uh, the director's got to go like, I, we, do we need who to knows? Cut this away might be too dangerous. If, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if something gets messed, which if they it did, gets ugly or unsafe, you know. Yeah, for sure. Now, now Carlos, of course, is fine. Uh, he had some comments about like how long it took to to sort of which help I kind of thought as well. There were you know there were people around marshals around you know and they they were they didn't spring into action quite at the pace I thought they mm-hmm. would, especially because they're the ones with the fire extinguishers. It, it was a complicated situation because because of the fire. I'm not exactly sure why, but he couldn't get the car kind of into park. And yeah, it, it was like sort of going so downhill. rolling backwards, yeah. back towards the track. You know, that seemed like a mess. It, it definitely was a complicated moment. I'm glad everybody's fine. I'm sure the FIA will, like with any of those incidents, look into it. But I thought... I'll just say this. I mean, I'm not going to throw blame around, but I get where signs is coming from. Mm-hmm. I, in real time, had the same reaction. Like, gosh, it's taking them a while to get over there and help him, <laughs> given the severity of the situation. Sure. So, but he's okay. He's okay. The car is not. He's fine. He's the okay. car is not. <laughs> yeah. No, it looked crazy. Um, do you want me to go to awards next uh, and, and sprinkle in sure. more about this yeah, race? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. So let's just start with most surprising from... Uh, the Austrian Grand Prix. I think the most surprising. Well, I think there's a couple of surprises. Give me your nominees. You know, Daniel Ricciardo ending up in the points is surprising. (laughs) After a a car that's looked shaky, a a driver that hasn't looked confident, you know, fighting his way back up into the top 10 is inarguably a little bit surprising. I wouldn't have anticipated that. Um, Haas in general, oh, you know, yeah. in a good way. They they definitely surprised me. They felt good about the car this weekend, but you know, they haven't really brought a lot of upgrades to the car. They've been basically sticking with a very consistent car over the course of the year where most of the teams have been bringing a lot of upgrades. And that is actually seemingly paying dividends with the driver's comfort level with the car. They've been able to really hone in and feel really really good about, you know, 
the four wheels beneath them, and that's that's been huge for them. They just looked incredible. I mean, honestly, the Haas team, they looked so racy. They were out there battling, throwing their elbows around with teams that look much faster than them at other points in the season. That was awesome to see. I feel like they've become, like, everyone's second favorite team, oh, right? Sure. Or even a lot of people's favorite team, the underdogs that are maybe new to the I'm sport. It feels think, like that, I'm at least on Twitter. I'm trying to think of, like, a good, like, NBA comparison. But who's somebody who was, like, really really down and out and then when they made their comeback like everybody just well you know what it's maybe this is it's different because of so many people reaching out to us knowing we were Raptors fans but it felt like when the Raptors suddenly got great with Kawhi and all that and people were yeah we were like cheering for them obviously never having a title not having a lot of success not even making the finals uh and then you know going up against the mighty warriors and all I I feel like there's maybe some I also I also think it it's actually not a bad comparison because while the scale of it's a little different, Haas as an American team and the Raptors oh, as a Canadian, Canadian team, team. Ooh, that's there a good is point. kind of the there is kind of that like yep. the outsider looking in on the rest of the culture of the yep. sport and people liking that fact about them. People actually that is the reason a lot of people like Haas is because they're this weird, scrappy American upstart that does things a little differently than a lot of other people and is just trying to figure it out. And people love that about them. So it's and I, I think there's certain vibes. On the Raptors as well. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was going to say, if they ever win one of these races in the final 11, be it Kevin, be it uh, Mick, uh, wow. maybe it'll be like Marc Gasol drinking a bottle of wine. Yeah. Stole yeah. the wine. Honestly, the for them, I think the real go- – I mean, win is – that would be – Podium, though? Wow. Podium is what I think you want. Because I think it's possible, are, too. I do think it's possible because I think there are days where they look like – Kevin Magnuson said this – in a recent uh, episode of Beyond the Grid that he was on. He was talking about how on any given weekend, we can be the seventh fastest car on the grid, i.e. we're the the best car other than the three traditional powerhouses. And even then, there's weekends where we look like we can maybe equal the pace of Mercedes. We could hang hang with Mercedes. And you don't need that many things to go wrong for people above you to then find your way to a podium. Like, sure. There have Especially been if those teams are fighting, fighting each other each and other two of them and battling. Hit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like things can start to go awry. You just you there's a late, you know, there's a late crash between Verstappen and Leclerc and then there's a uh, a convenient sh- quick pit stop right. for a Haas and then suddenly they're up at the front of the grid. This is how Gasly got his win at Monza, you know, where, you know, in an Alpha Tauri, right, yep. which it, which had no business kind of winning races that year. None of the people really on the podium in that race were all that competitive in terms of the title fight or anything like that, right? So, so I think it's crazier things have happened for sure. Would I bet on it? No, but they're absolutely, if they can have weekends like this, they'll put themselves in a position to walk through the door when the time comes. Okay, well let's uh let's stay positive here for a second. What was the best moment on the track? I mean, it's for me it's definitely got to be the five-way fight oh, that okay. you saw between what was it Norris, Joe, Alonzo, um and both Hosses. Yeah, okay, yeah. and Schumacher yeah. were the five guys battling out there. And that was that was great action. That was like super that was the the promise of this season and the closer racing and the ground effect and the lack uh, of reliance on certain top of car aerodynamic components like coming to fruition. This is what we want, which is like bunches of guys battling back and forth and doing racing hard, but racing safely, um, 
really very unclear who was going to come out on top was, of that. That looked crazy. It was crazy. To see five bunched like that going into turns. And it's, yeah, it, it was crazy. It was a great moment. And I, honestly, hopefully the type of thing that as they continue to iterate on these regulations in years to come, something that they'll be able to, like, will manifest itself more and more often. We, we got a, a Twitter question from Jay Fisher about that five-car fight there. And like what you're saying, was this only possible because of these new regulations from from last year? and Because we didn't see this, of course, last season. You, you didn't see it as much last season. There's like one or two moments. I remember like famously at the French, the most recent French Grand Prix, there was an instance where you saw uh, a bunch of, you know, cars battling towards the end. You had Ricardo going really wide or that famous, uh, there's that f- famous call from Crofty about at Spa a few years there where they're four wide, you know, coming down the main straight and there, but that really, those were instances where they're largely on a straight, straight it's yeah. a wide moment and they kind of like all get alongside each other and who's going to come out on top in this race to the braking zone. It's not this extended through turns thing. And it's really, it's really about the turns and the amount of aerodynamic downforce you need to make it at speed through a turn and the fact that the other cars aren't disrupting that as much. That is the real key to this. And that is where where I think you saw this was a little different because they were bunched up through multiple turns. They were kind of fighting back and forth. So I do think this was – it's not that we've never seen anything about it, but it was unique and uniquely cool and hopefully something we'll see a lot more of. Most disappointing – uh, at the Austrian Grand Prix, probably Alpha Tauri. Okay, I mean they're both of their cars again finishing out of the points. Just in general, I think having a brutal season after what looked like coming into the year, you you thought they might be up there with me. There was a world where we might have said, oh, okay, maybe Alpine and McLaren. You know, maybe the uh, the other team that's wiggled their way up into that fight is Alpha Tauri. It's just been nothing like that. You're having a rough year for Gasly, who at times last year looked like the best driver not in a top yeah, car. Yeah. You know, I was all like in on to- Gasly. Looked like a top five guy has just not shown that that brilliance this year. Yuki has improved but hasn't made a huge leap, mm-hmm. you know, still is prone to outburst, still is prone to on-track mistakes, you know, has made contact with his with his teammate even. You know, th- these things are are uh, really problematic. And, and it's definitely just, I don't know, th- for me, they're, they're a team that's, they got to get it together. They got to figure something out because they feel like they're taking huge steps backwards. Mm-hmm. So. And then the best award here on No Breaks. Ooh. I just wrote down who gets the Graydon Gordian Full Beans Award in Austria. So there are a couple candidates here, but I think there's one clear one. I think Charles Leclerc is a candidate. I mean, he drives great, overtaking Max three times, handling the car at the end. There's so many great instances in F1 history. Senna has a couple. Daniel Ricciardo at his Monaco victory where something goes wrong with the car and kind of has a guy has – this just superhero moment where he manages to bring it home and win a race nonetheless. That's a great one. Lewis Hamilton on the podium for the third week in a row. Another great week. But for me, it's inarguably, it's Mick Schumacher. Oh. Who, he, he just looks great. This is, this is Mick Schumacher's best race in Formula One. And by a wide margin, by a wide margin, like he was awesome. It's his second points in a row after going his entire career without any points until <laughs> Silverstone. It's his second points race in a row, but also just 
it, it, he looked great out there. It, it, it's the first race to me where he inarguably looked much quicker than his teammate, which uh, this year hasn't been the case. Prior years so, but, you know, to be faster than F1 vet Kevin Magnuson is no easy feat, but he's he's battling with people, he's defending, he's overtaking, he's, you know, he's going wheel to wheel with former F1 champions. He looked awesome. He looked unintimidated, he looked confident, and he looked in complete control of the car. And, you know, now he's, I don't know, you know, now it's his, he's got double digit points on the season, you know, after going a year and a half with no points. And I just, I thought he was awesome. Easily for me, the full beans award. Oh, there you go! Congratulations, congratulations. Do you think he's more excited about the points or the full beans? When I call him and tell him, (laughs) I think he's going to be a little shocked, a little humbled, (laughs) a little humbled. But you know, they always are. I I will say this: I say this all the time uh, when we're talking about NBA teams and and just the the how they look out there, both on the court and all the stories you're hearing from the locker room and hanging out. The vibes are immaculate right now, I feel like, with oh, Haas. Yeah. Does it not feel that way? Like, oh, with both totally. of their drivers, with the team, obviously having some success now. And, and like, we we, we sort of uh, uh, touched on it briefly, but, yeah, like, even Mick in the sprint race, oh, holding off uh, Hamilton there and getting the help there from uh, from his teammate there for DRS. That's, I don't know. They're, they're, they're clicking right now. They are clicking right now. They're super happy. I think that... You know, Mick is is feeling a lot better. He's looking like the guy we always thought he could be, you know, after his success in F3 and F2. You know, um, Kevin Magnuson, honestly, looks like a guy reborn. For a guy who fell out of the sport and kind of out of thin air, just got a second chance, seems so cool and calm and collected and happy and just like happy to be there and having fun racing, kind of new lease on life, which is awesome. And and honestly, I just think the team, you know, let's be real. I think if you were inside Haas the last two seasons, it was awful. I think it was really demoralizing. I think it really sucks to just be totally out of every race before the race even started. And I think the team is feeling great. Yeah, it's I'm pumped for them. It's like it's great that they're back, back in it. So. Any other final notes on uh, this weekend's past weekend's race? The only thing I'll say is is that this. It's bittersweet. It's kind of like, is is this a glass half full or glass half empty thing? The glass half empty version of this is, my gosh, think about all the races Ferrari has thrown away oh. and think about where they could be in this title fight if if retiring from the lead in Azerbaijan and Barcelona or having the strategic errors in Silverstone and Monaco and other places hadn't cost them these races where might they be in the title fight right now? Right. It's it's frustrating to think about. The glass half full version is, you know what? This team this car has got serious pace. They are figuring it out. It is no longer clear that the Red Bull is the fastest car out there. That is just not definitively true any longer. And you've got to start, and it, and there's a lot of races left. We're only halfway through halfway, the season. Yeah, yeah. It's like, could could they work their way back into this title fight? I feel way more optimistic about that chance than I did three or four weeks ago, where I thought, <laughs> oh, I was listening oh, this to no breaks. Way, yeah, oh, you were you, know? you were ready. You were basically saying <laughs> it's a wrap. To tell. This is yeah. a wrap. And I I think I think if anything, the one takeaway should be, this is the. It's like 
at three different points this season, we've called it a wrap. <laughs> like, probably. <laughs> yeah. We should stop in different uh, It's we just stop like the NBA that. season with uh, the MVP that. race. It's yeah. just like it's over <laughs> in week three, and then by yeah, week five, like, we're saying, oh, it's so now it's over for, for another guy. Yeah, we need to stop declaring that the season ah. is over until you know somebody has actually <laughs> sure. finished with the most points. You know, because we, we, we've had a tendency to do that, and we're proving ourselves wrong right. repeatedly. Right. So it's a good lesson learned. Well, we're far from over here on No Breaks on today's show. We're going to take our first break when we come back. A lot of F1 news. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there is a lot. Felt it's like it was more than normal. We're only Wednesday. It's a busy week. So we'll get into all that and uh, then start looking ahead to the next uh, Grand Prix, which is in France. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, back with no breaks here in the Classic Factory. Slipstream, chiming in on everything. I love to see it. Back and forth going on. Greg had a fun comment though he says Haas looking like the rock stars Gunther always knew they were wow I'm excited for the you know the next season of Drive to Survive with Haas performing <laughs> yeah. well here. You know there's going to be a great Gunther episode. About yeah, the team. yeah, yeah, they're the be- they're the best part of Drive to Survive every year, good or bad. They're it's true. Best. It's true. The Wasn't the last one? He was like climbing a mountain. Right? Oh yeah, like he was in the crazy. Alps and somewhere. Then he had the great. He had the weird thing where he was like posing with the bones. Well, yeah, that was that was that was great slash depressing because it was like, oh my god, the stuff know. these guys They're have just, to do for some money here on this team. I I would do. I mean, we could kind of drive and survive. We could pivot to a more hard knock style where they just follow one team, but then that team is Haas. Every it's just like <laughs> oh, I wouldn't okay. watch that much. I would just watch that much Haas content. One thing we forgot to address uh, from the race this past weekend was this crazy graphic uh, that had everybody confused, <laughs> including I saw Red Bull, uh, you know, tweeting about it. Like, what year is it here? I mean, this is like I won't even. We're showing it to everyone here on YouTube, but if, try and explain it for the listeners. Okay, here, so there are so <laughs> on the race you have so you have your podium. You have Charles Leclerc who drives for Ferrari in first. You have Max Verstappen who drives for Red Bull in second, and you have Lewis Hamilton who drives for Mercedes in third. You likely know those things I just said. However, the graphic has, for those of you listening, Sergio Perez, Ferrari driver in first, Carlos Sainz of Red Bull Racing in second, and Max Verstappen of Mercedes AMG in third. First of all, none of those people drive for any of those three teams. Only one of those people is even actually on the podium at this time, but that's not the correct team or place. I just don't even know how you get this so wrong. Yeah, what, what It is great, here? though. It's like, yeah. Actually, Almost literally everything is wrong about it. I would actually, I, they say like what have it, but I kind of like literally what happened here. How do, I'm interested in like how you make these sort of like on the fly graphics and like, cause, cause you would never have these things pre-built. 
because they don't exist. These people don't drive for those teams. Yeah. They don't. So yeah, how do you even. How did it get like, there? How do you <laughs> construct this graphic and the, such that it could go this wrong? Well, JD, you uh, obviously worked yeah. on live television that work? for a long, long time. Uh, you know, you've been up there in the booth. It's yep. hectic. Like, is there a. Can you give us a, a possible explanation for this uh, terrible graphic? I mean, to be so wrong, the only thing I could think of is that it would be like a. A software engineer who has come into the truck and has been basically like, hey, this is all the things you can do. You can change the name of the guy and this is where he drives for and he's done like a weird demo and it's just, it's already, it's still loaded in the machine. Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean, for yeah. it to be that wrong, it's just... Uh. I, I think what, I think the, the fascinating part, but I think this is where we're getting to deciphering this is great and you think it's like, it just makes sense that the graphic would have the driver's name and then his team and the graphic and all that for who he races for, that would all be one thing. But maybe but, it's but a I dynamic it's, component. I think so. You're, it's yeah, like, I think you're so. just like a lot, like all of those are dynamic fields. I think that so. Can be, because the <laughs> colors of the guy's names also match the teams they're on. Right, like Sergio right. Perez is in red, <laughs> which is Ferrari's color, which it says he drives for. Right. Even though he's not in this picture. <laughs> I mean, Sergio Perez well, yeah, is not there in is that. this picture. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't... So there's... I, yeah, I, I'm fascinated. I would just love to be in the truck to understand how exactly this comes Look, uh, you know, you, like they make uh, a, a thousand correct graphics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the totally. fastest sport you could possibly try and uh, broadcast, and then we pick the one thing. And there are tons of it. I mean, yeah, the data, actually, the amount of data they capture and the way they re- give it back to the fans is really impressive. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I yeah, think. it's really impressive. So I'm not hating. I'm it. I, I'm like genuinely curious about yeah. the, the process. I can only imagine the yelling in the truck. Oh, oh, oh my, my god! god. <laughs> yeah, How, yeah, I mean, oh yeah. my god! Like I, I know we, we could fall down a rabbit hole here, yeah, but yeah, 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 like even just like the added element the, of all the team radios and like them. You know, oh there's always god. like there is always you can tell the, the the broadcast team are like they're interrupted basically by the team radio clip that they want to play. And there's yeah. a bunch of that. I oh, that are, yeah, that, that's yeah. – can I ask one question, J.D.? <laughs> sure. oh, you, as, as somebody who's directed live television, who's, who's created a lot of television, have you – I mean, what's the biggest kind of like on-screen blunder oh, that you've ever good, been good there? Question. Oh, wow. Like been a part of, like something that went really – something ever go really awry or is it something maybe people didn't even notice? Sometimes I feel like they don't even notice and yeah. you're the only one who notices how badly it's going or something. I mean, when LeBron James's name is spelled wrong, that popped in my... That ha- happens a lot. Just the, the lowercase b. I've seen that yeah. a lot. When, when it, Those are huge to me because they're so simple. Like, that, like, that's a no-brainer. And he's, you know, the... Arguably the greatest player of all time. You got to get right. that guy's name sure. right on NBA TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, fair so enough. So there's that kind of thing. We've we've had things go off the rails before, pretty bad. We've had okay. I mean, I can just remember instances where it's like maybe I'm talking, but the camera is just still showing oh, yeah. the other camera yeah. is just showing you. Sure, and sure, it's like, sure, and then right, you're just sure. left looking at the camera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you don't want to say anything, of course. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like there was one that went for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. So you were obviously something was going crazy up there that yeah. you didn't notice that program and all that was yeah. uh, flipped or something like that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's when you're TD. You 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 find out if they like you or they don't like you, right? Because that there's a guy a sitting director, there. Yes. He's like, 
as he's on Trey. I'm just going to leave him on Trey for he hasn't said to move away from oh, Trey. Oh, right, wow. right. I mean, Whereas clearly, someone that likes you yeah. will like, okay, he, oh, yeah. I know this is wrong. Help I'm out. just going to yeah, go ahead and switch yeah, this. Yeah. 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 So Ooh. yeah. Oh wow. Okay, there you go. Okay. So whoever that was that day, back, I didn't back like off his balls yeah, there with this T D. I got a list of people who don't like me. <laughs> oh, no, he's no, he's lying. Yeah. This guy was like I would sometimes before a starter show, it's because I was bored or whatever, like yeah. I would wander up to like sure. uh to the to the booth. Yeah. yeah. Which like I mean it's like you gotta like it's up ele- you know, floor flights Different. of stairs, yeah, it's yeah, down yeah, this yeah. hallway. Yeah, you got it. It's a bit of a trek to get there. Just go in, see what's going on up here. Oh, these these uh, men and women loved JD. He's yeah. yeah. the coolest guy to work for. Leader. And it was fun up there. I was like, I it can was. see this being pretty yeah. fun. It was yeah, for, for sure. sure. Now it's just this. My this. I've got my own little desk here, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. There used to be ten people with me. Now it's just me. It's lonely back here. We got to get some. Got to get some crew back here. Yeah, some, yeah. and it's like now people. every mistake that happens is like you have <laughs> no one you. else to blame. <laughs> A hundred percent of it is on you. Uh, that's true, yeah. but uh, it was always on me. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, usually that's true. it's my fault. That's true. So. Well, he would see. He would like he would he would jump on them to take the blast. You know. Oh he just, yeah, you yeah. Know, well, somebody that's spelled a great, them wrong. Great leader, Why that's his fault? A great fault. leader yeah. is you know is a, a heat shield. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, uh, let's get into some uh, F one news uh, from this week. Um, a couple that I can us all lump together. The headlines: yeah. silly season, I guess, has started at McLaren. And I'm going to butcher probably a lot of these names because I barely know the actual driver's names, let alone <laughs> all these uh, people on the on the come up and stuff like that. I'll try my best. Yep. But McLaren has given uh, Colton Herta yep. um, a test drive. Do you want me to give them to you all at once here? With yeah, McLaren? yeah. Okay. Just run them all through because I think it's kind of one big. Okay. And then we had uh, Alpine driver uh, Piastri. Yep. He is linked Oscar. to McLaren. Yes. And so I, I, in a second, I think you'll tell me who the hell this guy even is. And then uh, on top of all this, we had the CEO, Zach Brown. That I know who, uh, that guy, because I saw him on Drive to Survive. He is saying these uh, Piastri rumors of him like joining the team and all that with what's going on with Ricardo are like, they're fake. He's under contract, uh, Daniel is. Like, don't worry about it. So there, again, there's a lot of just like, a lot of noise here around the struggling McLaren team. Yeah, there is. So, so, so there's so you know Colton Herta, it, you know, is a uh, super high quality talent over here in the U.S. and Indy 500. Oscar Piastri is a you know kind of a Formula Two talent who now has come in as the Alpine reserve driver. There's okay. other rumors uh, flying around. Alex Albon has been credibly linked to the team as a possibility to take over as the number two driver there. Um, all of this is just to say that the heat is on. You know, if they're and because Zach Brown's comments around this, I would say they're supportive, but hardly um, ironclad. Sure. You know, he's said things like, "Well, you know, we expect, you know, we look forward to working with with Danny, and we expect him to drive at the level of Lando and things like that." But the, frankly, he's not. You know, he's not. So it's it's a huge. I think there's huge question marks around the team. He has he is under contract for next year, and reportedly that is it's a driver option, not a team option. Yes, I saw. However, that. so seemingly like it's in his hands. However, there's almost always ways for the teams to get out of this, to eat some money, to do something. It's never that they can't make a move with their own team, you know. Certainly, so it's that you've seen this in the past. I would be surprised if there's no out for McLaren if they feel they need to make a change. And these young guys, Herta and Piastri. 
uh, in particular, you know, they've been knocking on the door and, the, you know, there's serious interest here. I think Piastri is a more credible rumor than the Herta one, but there Why is are, that? Just because I, I just think one? that, you know, Colton Herta, he did come over. He actually already did his test. It was this week, even since the news first broke, he did it. He loved driving the car. He is a supreme talent, but it is a little bit more of an unorthodox path to come from Indy 500 over to F1, at least, you know, in the modern age. Uh, are both he, these guys like really, really young? Like, are we like... I mean, they're 19? in there probably in their early twenties, okay. early twenties. Okay. You know, I guess I don't know exactly, but they're you know they're in the the early side of their career. Okay. And um, but Piastri is a has taken a very traditional path. Formula Three, Formula Two. You know, after Formula Two championships, is now a res- reserve driver and looks poised so to only, make the. It's only a matter in. of time. It's, it makes poised to leave. Somebody's yeah. got to give this guy a shot. Um, Alpine is definitely going to maneuver their way in. Piastri has been linked to Williams, which probably feels more credible because it, it seems a little bit less likely that Alpine and McLaren as rivals right now competing on the track, you know, neck and neck in the drivers, in the constructors championship, excuse me, will loan a driver out to one another. Mm. That would be, you know, in the same way you don't see. So you're saying he's on, he's in uh, the Alpine farm system. Yeah, so basically. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to like, they're trying to put him in a, drop him somewhere. Okay. So we'll, we'll see. But Danny Rick, for what it's worth, has said, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I intend to stay. He just announced that today. He put out a statement around it. <laughs> I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go on the record here as saying, I don't think he drives for McLaren next year. Whoa. I think he I think he's out. I think he's not doing well enough. I think they'll find a way to get out of his contract and replace him. And to be honest, I think he could be out of the sport because I don't think somebody else will take a flyer on him at this point. It seems like each year has been worse than the one before for the last several years, kind of since he left Red Bull. I, I, I think he's... I don't think his driving career is over. I could see him in Indy 500. I could even see him in NASCAR, as, as crazy as that seems. But it's there. But... I, if I had to put money on it, I'd say I don't. I don't think he makes it for oh, another God. year. God, because he is a fan favorite. Oh, absolutely, he's a fan favorite. But but he's falling off. Here. He's falling off big time. Okay. And there's a lot of young talent knocking on the door that wants in, and and uh, you know, it's a it's a cutthroat sport. It's just people will only let you hang around so much because of you know memories fade fast, and you know, team principles are only so sentimental. It's you know, there's a lot of what have you done for me lately thinking in right. F1, like in every professional sport. Yeah, frankly. that's true. You know, so so it's, at least so. at least here this last race on Sunday, I mean the time like he oh it helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not saying he it's unsalvageable. Start getting in the points. He did win a race last year. That's for McLaren's first race win in a very long time. Right. You know he get, and and that was after a start of the season that was that was very rough as well. So if he has a great strong ending to the year, he could easily salvage all of this and head into 2023 with a lot of momentum. But I just. I'm not confident that will happen, mm. is what I'm saying. Okay, we will see. Uh, next headline here. We've sort of known this for a while, I yeah. feel like. Even I've known this for a while, but it's uh, official. Um, this was a headline, uh, you won't believe it, but from the UK. It was <laughs> controversial former F1 race director Michael Massey has left the FIA to move back to Australia months after his error cost Lewis Hamilton the chance of an eighth world his, title. His error yeah, cost Lewis Hamilton. That's so. What's it? What's it called? Like the Daily Mail UK or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that. That's where I saw it. I was like, oh yeah, That's okay. Very, they're leaning into this yeah. headline. Not a fan of him uh, after what happened. A little at the bit of light season. editorializing there. Yeah, just as much bit. as I kind of agree, it's still sure. like I don't know. It, it's definitely. 
it's not the most straightforward newsy way no. you could announce no. his but, departure. But he's he's gone. Any anything he is gone. to um to note on this. I mean, other than it's just it's just kind of funny to see the culmination here because he was there was a two week or period where somehow Michael Massey a name that I think a lot of fans probably didn't know at the start of the of the 2021 season was the, the main character, like yeah, one of the yeah. main characters of the sport, was as big of a like some like some playoff ref that like your team can never win against or something like that, right? right? Like, and it becomes an obsession of fans. Yep. You know, they like he he became that guy that kind of haunted Mercedes fans, um, and it and it, it looked they always had just said he would. I will say, I always suspected this would happen, but they had said they would place him somewhere else and he would have another job with the FIA. So I was super curious, what would that be? And like, what could you place him in that wouldn't be controversial? And it turns out there was no such plan. No, really. That was never going to be the thing. That's just, just a, just a like, slow roll. Yeah, right? yeah. And just not, like, to, not to say like, you new, messed up, man. You're out of here. Yeah, oh. I think it helps him deflect blame and totally. be like, this guy's not responsible because we didn't make any – he didn't – we're not firing him. He didn't make a mistake. We're just moving him to this quietly right. the corner. You he know, just wants like to go that. back to Australia to be with his family. Totally, right. Classic and, move. Classic. Um, I was going to ask you, before him, in knowing his name and what went down, like, do we – did we ever know race F1 yeah. race director? So like, Charlie was Whiting was the race director before him. And I will say that the thing about Charlie Whiting was is that he was kind of a a legend. He had been in the role for a long time. He was incredibly well-respected across the okay. sport. Would a casual fan have known him? I it kind of depends on how what it kind of depends on almost what you mean by casual. Would like an American style like I watch Drive to Survive and I've only been in this for a couple of years. You know, no, you probably weren't like super into Charlie Whiting. Would a long-standing maybe European fan? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I don't know. You know, but it's the but he was super well respected. He was kind of a legend of the sport, and then he passed away, and Michael Massey took over, which I think made everything that happened with Massey all the more intense because he was following in the footsteps of this guy that was universally right. respected. And quite suddenly too, right? Yeah, so he it's, away, yeah and he did. Through. So it's, that's all, I think that has made, that made Massey's job all the harder because it's like, you know, it's, it's really hard to follow up in a role where everybody said, well, this guy's done a terrific job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no, no, no complaints. And then it's like, okay. How do you follow that up? It's hard. So who's doing it right now? Is it's it a, actually a pair. It a team? Yeah, yeah it's, okay. they've, they've shifted it to where there's different people on different weeks. They've restructured a lot of elements of it to try to like basically control for what happened last year. You've seen a lot of changes in the ways the way races are managed. We mentioned one earlier with the way that they're dealing with off track violations, but. Whether it's ordering people on track to do things, Massey was a big fan of that, right? You used to see Massey calling in and saying, "Give the place back." Oh, yeah. They no longer do that anymore. You can give the place back, but you've got to like make a judgment call and take the risk of I can either keep driving and suffer the penalty, or do, you know, or I'll give it back now. They're not going to call in and say, "Hey, we think you committed a penalty." You know, you should do this. They, they've they've there's both ways in which they're intervening more and intervening less. Right. And like it's – so it's just a lot of – that's a a lot of things are changing there. And I would say that it's not as if everybody's now thrilled with it. There's tons of complaints coming out of the various paddocks about it. But it's like that's also – I mean 
These people love to complain. I will, yeah, it's a sport I will full of miss the team principal <laughs> saying, Michael, Michael, <laughs> Michael. Oh, uh, the, the cutting, I do. I, it is a good thing that they cut down on the principals trying to influence the race yeah, director's decisions. Yeah, that was decisions. crazy. And like them calling and like trying to say, you need to do this, you need to do that. That was way too much politics involved there. However, it made for great television. It did. It, did. it made for it great. <laughs> and it would, like, insane. I was trying to think, like, you could, like, implement it in the NBA, like, when they go to uh, Secaucus to, like, oh, yeah. the referee. Have uh, one, the coaches get to call yeah, in. We get to hear them call in, you <laughs> the know? The guys get to call in and, and give their take yeah, on it. Yeah, you got Daryl Morey on the phone. I mean, saying, I guess you see that in the sense that you do see coaches, players, you know, talking with refs. I, I, this was always a thing. As I think people who listen to the pod know, I'm a I'm a Spurs fan, and you used to always see like back in in our in our glory days, every time every break, Tony Parker was over on the side like talking to oh, the yeah. refs, not like Sashing angry mad, just like kind of putting little bugs in yep. their ear, kind of moving the yep. needle with them, and then suddenly fouls start to go their way, and it's like you know the black magic is working, <laughs> they, you know. So it's but I think a lot of that still happens. Pre and post race. Okay. So. Uh, final headline here, bit of a weird one. Former Formula One boss Bernie Ecclestone charged with fraud <laughs> over assets worth 400 million pounds. And this guy, now he's worth 2.5 billion pounds. He, uh, well, you know what? I could just say two point five million dollars at this point, right? Or billion dollars at this point. You see? Yeah, because oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's pounds, <laughs> oh, no, not it's euros. Euro, it's not pounds, euro. not Hold euros. Hold on, hold pounds, on. Sorry. Yeah. You know what? The reason that happened, I was at Trivia last night, and we got asked a question about beer consumption okay. uh, per capita in in the European Union, and we had a big brain fart thinking uh, England was in the European Union. Oh, anyway, it was a mess. Yeah, that's gosh. why I think I have that oh, on the brain still. Crushing, anyway, crushing. I was going to say about this. Hold on. What was the answer? Oh, geez. It was like a bonus question. Final bonus question. Yeah, okay. And it was, uh, so it was name the top 10 uh, countries in the Europe, uh, part of the European Union that Consume the most beer per capita. Oh, and you named the UK. So we had the UK in there. We just, we just, you know, and we weren't the only ones. Apparently, there was a bunch. Got Brexited. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And and we really screwed up. Uh, We again, I don't. I'm not up to to, uh, speed on my European Union. Who's in the Union? It's actually. Oh my God! Hey, here's what. Here's your answer for everyone moving forward. If you go to bar trivia, just think of the IAs. All those IA countries. A lot of them are in it. Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, exactly. It goes on and on and on. So, uh, and they were a lot of the answers. Right. There was uh, they're beer drinking people. (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. I wasn't gonna say. Oh, this old guy, Bernie, ninety-one years old, and uh, yeah, he's uh, maybe did a crime. (laughs) Yes, he is said to have concealed millions that were uncovered during a complex and worldwide investigation by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Sounds like a movie. so what do we know about this this old What guy? do we know about Bernie, Bernie Eccleston? Bernie I mean I, I mean, I'll just put it plainly. Bernie sucks. Okay, I mean he's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. big racist kind of like pseudo fascist weirdo who he ran loves, the sport he loves for Putin. years. I saw that. He loves he said he would take a bullet for Putin. Yeah. Back in the day when he ran the sport, he said a bunch of like flattering things about Hitler one time, which feels like the easiest. If there's an, if there's like one person who is like, just, just don't make a complimentary remarks about Hitler. It's like a very basic <laughs> a PR, yeah. like a very basic PR one on one. But he was unable to do that. He said he he hates Lewis Hamilton and always disparages him and praises Michael Schumacher. Almost everybody feels you know absolutely uh, a 
a race-based commentary. Sure. He really sucks. So for me, <laughs> I did. I, I, I don't like the guy. So for me, when I saw him like getting you know charged with fraud. I mean, uh, there was some Schadenfreude in there. Mm. I was like, I was like, this guy is awful. He like, I, I'm glad he's getting some comeuppance. I'm gonna be frank about it. It's All like right. I don't like the guy. I mean, I don't like the guy. The the only other note I saw in this article, he owns a Swiss mountain. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, he, he, I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, I, I own what that. Does that even That's mean? mine. Yeah, that I mountain's guess, yeah. mine. Yeah, uh, he owns a Brazilian coffee plantation. He yep. owns a fleet of private jets. He's got a thirty million. Dollar yacht. That's not yeah. a shock. Uh, he used to have a different yacht, but he sold it to his good buddy Eric Clapton, their friend. Serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His old yacht is now Eric Clapton's yacht because they're okay. buddies. And then he used to also have, uh, used to be the uh, the owner, I guess, of Queens Park Rangers Football Club. That was yeah. one of his assets there it for a was. couple years. It was too. for a while. So this yeah. guy's just an old fart. This guy, a racist old fart. He's got way too much money. And, and he, and he was like, caught. at some point, he was like, hey, I want to keep more of my money, so I'm going to hide it from the government. And then they were like, no, you're not. You, you, you don't need to do that when you have $2.5 billion. You really <laughs> you don't. Really, I, that's I, that's how I always feel. <laughs> also, when you're like 91 years old, yeah. like, what are you – like you could go about – you could try to spend $100 million a year for the rest of your life and you wouldn't do it because you'd die before you ran out yeah. of money. It's like I like – I, so I just – why do it? I don't know. This guy sucks. Know. Yeah, he right. sucks. Uh, I'll tell you, someone who does not suck, a uh, friend of the program, you guys had her on, Hazel Southwell. Hazel does not suck. She's great. She has a great tweet uh, going around the last couple of days. I wanted to ask Graydon. I wanted to ask everybody in the slipstream, everybody listening for your answers. Uh, I asked Nora. She thought this was very difficult, so uh, Hazel was right here. Uh, it is, if you had to be an F1 driver, but an existing driver, so you get their life. Uh, Etc. Which one would it be? I reckon this one is quite a lot harder than it looks. Do you do you agree with Hazel? Was this tough for Graydon Gordian, or did you have an answer just like that? I d- no, I didn't have an answer okay. just like that. In fact, I almost have. But one thing I want to point out about Hazel's tweet. My favorite thing about being an F one fan is the weird time these tweets come in because that's at like six forty a.m. She tweets that, and it gives the impression that, <laughs> that she's just she's, like up thinking about sure. that, like first thing in the morning. She lives in England, yeah, it's so noon. it's a horrible yeah, yeah, yeah. time. But I always love that's a lunch like the false, for yeah, Hazel, yeah, the false impression you get that like I've just woken up, but like I'm thinking like which F one driver's life would I want to have right. at, like before I've even had my coffee. But I think I. Um, first of all, it, are we meaning like, okay, so we're meaning like flash forward, like right now, like I'm trading live. I think them. so. That's how I took it. Uh, and for all, like maybe what they do on the track, I think even more importantly, what, what's I, going the, on honestly, off the track. Honestly, I started thinking more off yeah, the, the track. Yeah, the fame of popularity. Is that good? Okay, Is that I'm bad? I'm going like, to go with Charles Leclerc. Okay. I mean, he's my guy. So of course people think that, but it's like, he does have... A fairy tale life. He like grew up in Monaco. He's like a young man. He's a driver for Ferrari, which you know has a lot of pressure, but a lot of perks. Everywhere you go, yeah. they've got a Ferrari for you there to drive around, and all these tailored suits. And he, you know, he's worth you know tens of millions of dollars in his you know mid twenties. And you know, I think he just lives just a fairy tale lifestyle. Yeah, you know, and it's it's and he seems to me like more. As far as the guys at the top of the grid, I would never say Max, who, you know, A, seems a little joyless, but, like, whose dad <laughs> is kind of an asshole, right? And I wouldn't want to have to deal with all the time. So it's like, you know, in general, I think – so to me, it's like – I maybe that's not going to surprise people given I'm a fan of his, but it does feel like Charles has, like, from a – has like hit the lottery on like sure. things that are going right for me as yeah. a young person. It's not a surprise to me or anyone that knows Graydon and especially his wife Taryn that you went with Charles Leclerc because 
Taryn finds. Oh, she finds him quite handsome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, he is. Our, I mean, our wives in general are are big fans of the Ferrari team. That's right. They're for different reasons than I am. I mean, like, what what is your answer? Well, I mean, I struggled with it. Like Lewis Hamilton, sure. If you want to be like, I want to be the best. Yeah, the greatest of all time. Yeah. Now, with that comes like, oh my God, you probably can't go anywhere. Like I was trying to think, like Lewis Hamilton walking around uh, Atlanta. Yeah, is he being stopped left and right by people? It's a, I'm not. It's a good ish, question, but I'll tell you, Charles Leclerc is not. No, I, I think They're that's like, probably right. I do think, or like you know, like a Pierre Gasly is not, no, or like a no. someone you know, you can kind of fade into the background. Yeah. I they used to talk about this. The drivers used to talk about how much they loved the U.S. because they could come here right. and party and live luxurious lifestyles but disappear. It's like you could have a beautiful apartment in New York and go to great restaurants and live and nobody would have any idea right. who you were. You actually hear soccer players say the same thing mm. sometimes. It's like they come over and they just kind of disappear. Yep. So, And I do think that's eroding a little bit. Lewis has got to be the guy for whom it has eroded the most. Oh, it's got to be the most recognizable face in the sport yeah. on this side of the pond, right? So, But I think when it's all said and done, like he's still got, of course, racing left in him. He's, yeah. he's going for his eighth and all that and where he'll fall in, in the pecking order of greatest of all time. But like what he's done off the track as well, like, I think that's going to only just age better. But, like, this guy's, like, yeah, a game changer in the sport. Totally, quality. totally. He's a great – he's a voice for a bu- bunch of great causes. Yeah. He's super interesting, involved, involved in, like, fashion and philanthropy and, and you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts and all yeah. sorts of things that are cool. Uh, you know, probably – him and Vettel are right up there at the very top of the sport in terms of being strong voices around climate change. It's, they do cool stuff. I do think you're right. Lewis will go down as somebody who, you know – his aspiration, I'll say that, is to go down as somebody whose legacy is about far more than exactly. just racing. Exactly. So. But then again, he's the most popular, and if you don't want to be like stopped everywhere you go, that's going to be that's tough. It, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, that's it's not a bad choice by sure. No, sure. But not to mention Lewis is probably – I mean, not to say it's all about the dollars and the cents, but I, I mean, I presume Lewis's <laughs> lifestyle is <laughs> – Bananas. Yeah, and he's got a and he's got <laughs> yeah. a dog. I, I mean, I know some dog. of these other guys have dogs. I'm sure, yeah, but I saw dog. they had a camera on. Uh, is it Rocco? Rocco. Is, yeah, is they put the a camera on him. Okay, and then so we got his point of view. How, yeah. What was you know Rocco? what? I'm changing my answer. I want to. I want to be Rocco. Oh wow! I like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> now I'm yeah. hanging out with Lewis all the time. Yeah. I can go wherever I want. Yeah. I mean, everybody's everybody, like, oh, everybody just takes super care pumped of me. to see me. Totally. Yeah. It just jet around the world on a yeah. private jet, but with real no expectations. I just struggle to get up and down stairs. Yeah. 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 The yeah. Short legs. On this yeah. Guy. There's always a. Anyway. There's always a catch. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's hear from you. Your answers. Uh, great tweet there from Hazel. Uh, if you had to be an F1 driver and. It has to be an existing driver, but you're getting their life and all that. Who are you picking and why? Let us know uh, right now in the slipstream, in the comments below this video, or tweet them in at no Dunk Sink. We're going to take our final break. But when we come back, we will look at the overall standings, both with the drivers and the constructors, and we'll look ahead to the French Grand Prix, and you can tell me everything I need to know to get ready for this race in a couple weeks. To get prepped. All right, we'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Okay, back with no brakes. Start wrapping up this bad boy. Quick look at the driver's standings. Here we go. Because the real question from this, as we show it to you here, and Max at 208 points overall, Charles Leclerc at 170, is is he back in the hunt? Um, you said it was over a couple weeks ago. Now, <laughs> earlier, you said, I don't know. But like, I saw people in the slipstream saying, come on, it's still honestly over. Red Bull just too consistent. Max too good. Um, and, and Charles, because of reliability, because of uh, you know strategy reasons, left a lot of points out there on the board in these last couple of races prior to this one. Um, but what do you think? Can, can he do it? I mean, I think that Max and Red Bull should still be the overwhelming favorites to win. I just think that this is the longest season in Formula One history. There are more points out there to be scored than any season before. So a 38-point lead is, you know, only so big. You know, just last week, Perez was still was ahead of Leclerc in the standings, and now he is 19 points ahead of Perez. So it's a there are. There's just a. I think that there's a lot of points to be gained. You know, one week Leclerc comes in first. Max has something where he DNFs. You know, it's a 25 point swing, uh, and he's right back in it. I, that being said, it's like, should Max be the favorite? It's like, yes, of course. of course, of course, he should be. I just think it's you know we're going from it's mathematically plausible to the scenarios in which it could happen feel less and less like wild, crazy anomalies. Does Ferrari as a team really in the second half of the season just need to like zero in and focus on it's Leclerc, 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 and Carlos, I, everything you can do to help him? Like that has to be I, I think plan. so. I, at some point, you've got to turn the corner and you've got to say, listen, guys, this is, you know, one of us is in a race for the world title and one of us isn't, and we've got to get serious about this. You mm-hmm. know, I, 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 I think that's probably right. I think that... They've also, I mean, the one thing they've got to do more than anything, I think, is, yeah, so that's their strategic clarity, but then it's also reliability, right? right? It's like they need to be doing, the car is fast. They need to be doing everything to make sure that it finishes. <laughs> In order to finish first, or you got to first finish, right? So Ooh. the, so the. You must have came up with that. That's I'm never the been first said. guy yeah, to yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. And I want you to all cite me when put you it put it on future. a fridge put it, yeah. yeah so i i'm no one has ever said that before so i think that that needs to be their focus but is the slipstream team right in some <laughs> other broader sense like max it should be the overwhelming favorite to win the world title let's take a look at the constructor standings red bull sitting atop the standings right now 359 ferrari right there i guess at 303 you got mercedes in third at 237 and then uh obviously a massive drop off but we got a race there that's uh exciting between mclaren and alpine and yeah sort of Alpha Royals, like hanging around uh sort of for that four five six spot um anything that jumps out at you here i mean the the, the one thing to say is it's it's the gap is starting to reopen between Ferrari and Mercedes, which, you know, is, for me, is unsurprising, but I think probably disappointing to some who, who are right. hoping that Mercedes could could get in the race for a second. But you know, the Alpine McLaren one is, is, is the best part about this, it, you know, these standings, right, is that that's neck and neck halfway through the season, and uh, there's a lot to play for. So that's, that's hopefully very exciting. The other thing that jumps out at me here, fan favorite, Haas, all the wow. way up in six. I mean, that is like, that's 
that's exciting. It's cool. I'm yeah. pumped for them, and they, you know, hopefully they can keep keep scoring points and maybe get up and you know even challenge some people a little bit ahead of them. So before we look at the French Grand Prix, what else are you watching for in the second half of the season? Obviously, you know, Ken Fer- Ken Ferrari and, and Charles Leclerc like catch Max. That's number one. Yeah, but is there like and, one, and that little race yeah. that you pointed out there between uh, Alpine and McLaren, but. Is there anything else that you're really like zeroing in on for these final eleven races? Yeah, so I, I mean, and a few of them we've already alluded to, but I think so. One is Alpine has looked like the faster team. They've looked like they've got the better car on track than McLaren. But as you can see from the standings, they haven't turned it into points. So can they, you know, get rid of the gremlins, you know, tighten up the operations and start bringing the car home and putting more points on the board? and really take control of fourth. I think that's got to be, because right now they look, the car looks awesome, and they look like they've really done the work to prep for these new regs. So can they do that? Two, you know, on the flip side of that, McLaren has looked shaky. The vibes uh, are bad. We mentioned the vibes are good at Haas. The vibes are bad at McLaren. And, like, are they are they just hanging on by a thread here? Are they getting lucky, or are they, like, on the precipice of really getting back in this fight? And what's the rest of Danny Rick's year look like? Right. I think it's probably the thing we're really laser-focused on. Nobody questions Lando's stance with the team and the fact that he's the number one guy, and he's probably out-driving the car at this point. Um, you know... Uh, for me, it's can Haas keep scoring points? Can Mick keep it up? I'm really curious to see what Alex Albon can do. He he had some really great races. He had a really shaky one. Then, you know, following that, you know, at Silverstone, he didn't look as good in qualifying and things like that, right? Even when they brought some upgrades to the car. So, but a lot of people have... A lot of people are talking about the Williams seats maybe being up for grabs. Latifi is likely out, or at least a lot of people are presuming he are. But some people are talking about both those seats being open, maybe because Albon might make a move. Where is that move? I think, but he's probably got to keep performing at a high level to, you know, to earn a, uh, whether it's another season there or another seat somewhere else. So these are all stuff to follow. But mm. hopefully, what 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 it all says is we we can inch our way back to genuine intrigue at the very top of the standings. Right. That's it's got to be the number one hope for the second half of the season. All right, well, let's look ahead to our next race. JD's got the uh, got the circuit here for us, which I love. It's one of my favorite things, just looking at these things. Oh, yeah, they're cool. You know, just like uh, where the DRSs are and obviously uh, how many turns we're talking here. So we're talking about the French Grand Prix. This is Sunday, July 24th. So not this coming weekend, but the next. Uh, I guess it's the circuit... Paul Ricard in Le Castellet, France, mm-hmm. which is near the French Riviera. It is. Right? It's pretty far south. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so 53 laps on this one, two DRS zones, as you see there. And uh, <laughs> I guess some brightly colored runoff areas. Yeah, is that this is nice that track that has the big, Ooh, beautiful yeah. like, red, white, and blue stripes oh, all I around like that. it. I like that. You know, so it's cool looking. What else do we need to know about this track? Yeah, okay, so it's... It's an interesting one. So th- this is one of the more balanced tracks of the year in the sense that there's a lot of – there's a good mix of low, medium, and high-speed corners. Um, so it's – to be honest, it's probably famously not the most exciting track. This has got a, a bit of a bad reputation for some boring races. Really? Yeah, it does. However, it is – a track that the drivers are very familiar with or a lot of them are because it is is one of the main testing tracks or has historically been over the years maybe a little bit less so in recent years but a, a lot of teams have at least spent a lot of time here because it's so balanced and because it kind mm. of doesn't aggressively skew one way or the other right where it gives 
a huge advantage to teams uh, that are, you know, that have a bunch of engine power or run really high downforce packages or whatever they might be, whatever you might have. So it's it's, it's very balanced, which I think is exciting because I think it'll show a really true – we'll come out of next weekend with a very clear sense of where I think the cars are at you know, about halfway through the year. It's like, this is a very complete full picture uh, of where they're at. So is it, I mean, of course there could be shenanigans, weird things, but if you get a fairly clean race, a fairly clean race is also uh, a fairly clear picture of the pace of the respective cars. Uh, you get that at France. Who, who does this favor then between uh, you know, the teams at the top, if you had to pick? You know, I would have said it favors Red Bull historically just because I would have said that they have the slightly just more optimized car. But in recent weeks, weeks, I've started to question that. You know, I would have said that about Austria as well, and I would have said that about Silverstone as well. So tracks that I would have thought favored Red Bull haven't shown themselves – you know, Red Bull hasn't been winning at. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, it's like I do think it's a it's a it's a bit of a toss up. It's a bit of a fifty fifty. I do think some of it'll come down to like nailing the the actual package that they bring to it, finding the balance in the car, um, because that's where I think they're struggling. That was really the gremlins that Red Bull was facing this last weekend, right? Is that they didn't? I think they 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 were just off on the setup, and it was costing them tire degradation issues and then that's what really cost them the race was the deg right so it's like it's similarly it's like it's not even about the car itself it's like there's a bunch of decisions they'll make between now and qualifying that i do think will determine who wins can't wait before we let you go final question i know we're running long here but i don't get to do this often you know yeah fill in for trey on no breaks what has been the best race so far from this season as we hit hit this halfway point uh of the 11 races in 2022 Great question. Uh, it the answer is probably Silverstone, oh. which was really exciting, right? And people loved in the last five laps, of which are probably the best five laps of the season. You know, Silverstone was really great. I think there's a couple of earlier season races that were a little bit prone to forget <laughs> because we have you know, short memories. Jeddah, in particular, was really awesome. The last few laps and the battle between Leclerc and Verstappen, uh, which Verstappen ended up coming out on top of were really terrific as well. So those, to me, jump out as really exciting races that are probably the highlights of the season so far. But I've got to go with Silverstone, I think, if I had to say. Let's hear from you guys. Agree or disagree with Graydon Gordian on the best race of the season so far? Let him know. Tweet at him. At MR Gordian. Mr. Gordian. Uh, that's the best way people can get in touch with uh, with Graydon. So go ahead and tweet at him. Subscribe to No Breaks here on YouTube. Leave your boys a five-star rating and review. Five stars. Yes, wherever you listen to the podcast. Send us some F1 emails. Don't be afraid to do that. Send them to nodunksattheathletic.com. You can tweet them in at nodunksinc. And uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash nodunks so they know that we sent you. Clipper Bros? Yeah, Clipper you Bros. First. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. I, I heard the music, so I wasn't sure if we could do both at the same time, but uh, Clipper Bros sounds great with that track underneath, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Stay speedy, people, and embrace the fun run. What? <laughs> I meant to say embrace the turn. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love it. I, like, I mean... 